0: Welcome to Zero Knowledge. I'm your host, Anna Rose. In this podcast, we will be exploring the latest in zero-knowledge research and the decentralized web, as well as new paradigms that promise to change the way we interact and transact online. In this week's episode, James and I explore the Cosmos Stargate upgrade. We do three interviews with three different participants in the upgrade. That is Zucky Munyan, Tess Reinerson, and Shahan Kachadorian. We talk about what the upgrade was all about, how it went, and what kind of changes it brought to the Cosmos tech stack. But before we start in, I want to remind you to subscribe to ZK Mesh newsletter for the latest in ZK News, research, events, and jobs, and more. The newsletter comes out monthly. Be sure to check it out. I've added the link in the show notes. I also want to say thank you to this week's sponsor, Least Authority. Least Authority is a security consulting company known for their dedication to pushing the limits on how to build privacy-respecting solutions. They are a team of security researchers, cryptographers, and open-source developers passionate about advancing the security of projects in the blockchain, cryptocurrency, and DeFi space. They're known for their audits of the ETH 2.0 specification, Protocol Labs' Gossip Sub Protocol, MENA Protocol, Blockstack's Investor Wallet, and more. They want to help teams improve the security of their protocol and use of cryptography, including zero-knowledge proofs, from design to implementation. Their independent reviews improve the security of the technology by immediately helping developers of the projects along with their users. And when the reports are published, the broader community can benefit from this shared knowledge as well. With over 50 completed public audits to date, join the growing list of audited projects, to do this, book a free consultation at leastauthority.com slash consult. I've added the link to this in the show notes. So thank you again, Least Authority, for supporting this podcast. Now here is James and my exploration of the Stargate upgrade. So today, James and I will be exploring the Cosmos Stargate upgrade. And we're gonna do this by interviewing three different people. First off, I wanna say hi to James. Hey James. Hi Anna. And I want to introduce our first guest, Zucky. Welcome back to the show.
1: Uh, It's a pleasure to be here.
0: And Zucky, you've been on the show before. We actually have an episode that I'm going to add in the show notes um, where we we had a full hour. We got to talk about all the work that you've been doing, actually at least up to that point. But since you are somebody who wears many hats, I feel like we should say that for this episode, you're going to be wearing the iClusion hat as we talk about the Stargate upgrade. So why don't you just introduce yourself and what iClusion is doing with Stargate?
1: Yeah. So I'm Zachy Munyan. I build blockchain protocols. I work on Cosmos and Cosmos related protocols and other protocols. I'm a co founder of a company called Occlusion. Uh, I co founded it with myself, Christy Pulstam, Shella Stevens, and Tony Arcieri. And we started this all the way back in 2017 basically with the idea of running a validator and trying to figure out how to val- be a validator. We do uh, some combination of like new protocol development, uh, running validators, um, supporting Cosmos and the Cosmos ecosystem, consulting for other ecosystems. And basically the only thing that we don't do that other people do in the space is we don't run a fund.
0: Got it. So many hats. So let's kick this off. What exactly is Stargate? What is this upgrade, and how did you actually interface with it?
1: Yeah, so the history of Stargate is Cosmos underwent this, like, sort of significant reorganization in 2020 um, where, like, a lot of dev teams moved around, a lot of people moved between orgs. And we did Game of Zones, which was an incentivized testnet that was a follow-up to Game of Stakes, which was the first incentivized testnet. And after Game of Zones, which was, like, sort of the big public test of IBC... I sort of had like checked back in into what was going on in Cosmos software development. And I had known that there were a lot of big changes that were planned and that, that there had been like a lot of engineering uh, discussion and planning and work. And I, what I realized in the Cosmos SDK process, like in the process of doing Game of Zones is I was like, oh, there is no way to ship IBC. I've always felt like a sort of like somewhat almost religious obligation to ship the Cosmos white paper. And I was like, we can't ship IBC, we can't ship the Cosmos white paper until like without also bringing in all of these other changes. And what I realized was those changes were gonna have a really dramatic impact on exchanges and validators and wallets. And all of that stuff was gonna be this big, really painful upgrade that we had to do in order to ship the Cosmos white paper. And so I sort of decided that we were gonna take this on, that we were gonna do this, That like all of these upgrades were all going to get bundled together into this one big upgrade that also enabled IBC and that I was going to go and lead the charge on making sure that exchanges and wallets um, and validators were all ready for this big disruptive change, which is basically the biggest and most disruptive change that has ever been done on a widely integrated blockchain in the history of this industry. Um, And that's what Stargate was.
0: Let's talk about this white paper, kind of like what Cosmos was and what it is now. So you mentioned IBC. I actually have done an entire episode on IBC with Crisco's. I'll add the link in the show notes to that. And IBC, as I've always understood it, is the thing that allows for this interoperability in the Cosmos ecosystem to actually exist. Before this point, what was Cosmos actually?
1: So... Cosmos was the first sort of BFT, fast finality, proof of stake blockchain. Um, It was the first framework for building blockchains, at least one the first framework that was sort of widely adopted uh, for like build your own blockchain. So people built their own blockchain, Kava, Terra, Band, all built their own blockchains on the Cosmos SDK. And then we were this proof of stake BFT consensus system um, that like showed that systems like this could exist. And that, that was Cosmos before that. The promise of Cosmos
2: in the white paper was this internet of blockchains, right? Yep. And it sounds like you're saying IBC and the Stargate upgrade are the last big push to achieve that goal that you set out to do five years ago.
1: Yeah. So five years ago, I you know helped with editing and writing and made comments on uh, the original Cosmos white paper. And it was basically this idea of interoperable blockchains and like Stargate, the Stargate upgrade happened on the Cosmos Hub back in February, completed the Cosmos white paper. Like the Cosmos white paper is done, the software is shipped, the system is running, it's actually finished. Uh, and it's been a, a big deal to, for me personally to like have that burden uh, lifted.
0: What does iClusion and yourself actually do in something like this? What does it mean to do an upgrade from where you're sitting?
1: So there are more than 100 exchanges that integrate with Cosmos. There are probably about a dozen different independent wallets um, that integrate with Cosmos and the Cosmos Hub. There are block explorers. There's like a whole ecosystem of software that is not produced by, let's say, anyone who has who commits code to the Cosmos repository, or like goes to any software development meetings, or is like in the Discord channels, and so there's this whole peripheral ecosystem that is really fundamental to like what makes a blockchain work. Why does a blockchain exist? And the way in which Cosmos sort of organically evolved in the ecosystem is there were dozens of different bespoke integrations between exchanges and uh, wallets with Cosmos software. And what I realized when we were doing Game of Zones and getting ready to when trying to figure out what it would be like to launch IPC, we realized that like this was going to disrupt every single one of those integrations. Um yeah. Oh man. And that 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 was that was you had this like sinking feeling in your stomach, you're like, fuck. Um and so I came up with this brand of the Stargate, and it's the brand of the Stargate is, you know. We're going through this thing. There is a before and there's an after. And once we're after, like everything is different and nothing will ever be the same again. And I, I thought the name would like, be helpful for convincing all of these different entities that they were all going to have to put hundreds of hours into this, their integrations, fixing the problems and the disruptions with their software that this upgrade was going to cause. And that did work.
2: Mm-hmm. so the the name was kind of a way to sell the idea to all of these exchanges and external developers who are not part of the core team
1: yep so like essentially like you know you set up calls and slack channels and telegrams groups with the relevant technical person and with the relevant technical content at all of these different organizations i have an entire telegram folder of just exchanges that i'm tech supporting with stargate i have does i have lots of slack channels i have all kinds of different ways of of communicating with these folks Mm -hmm. Um, and you start and then you run test nets and you you communicate clearly we published i think like 15 weeks of weekly updates on the stargate launch repository where we would uh just like update everyone and we would tell people like and then we would just get people to report back so one of the things stargate was all about was you know, so the IBC feature is the feature for the token holders. It's the one big thing that for the token holders. What mostly Stargate was about was changing the way Cosmos works from a developer point of view. And one of the other things that we were doing is we maintained a backwards compatibility layer between the new way that transactions work and the new way that blocks works in Cosmos and the old way. And basically, a lot of this process was essentially working with the developers of various exchanges, on like a trial by fire basis to get them all to tell us what is broken about like what this new software and the compatibility Brakes. layer doesn't work <laughs> for them oh, and then going to the cosmos dev teams and being like okay like this thing is not working uh exchanges need it uh uh such and such large exchange needs it uh can we fix this bug get that bug out get a new test that launched get the exchange to test against the new test net. get to the next bug, fix that Damn. And the plan was basically that we were going to land all of the exchanges and their integration issues and the software being QA and ready. Um, and all of these pieces together on basically the same day. And that's basically what we did. This is kind of
2: interesting for me because, uh, At Suma, we did a significant amount of work on a Cosmos SDK module, and we are currently in the process of upgrading that to the new version of the SDK. Yeah. And just to take a relatively simple extension to the Cosmos ecosystem and upgrade it is taking, you know, probably a few dozen hours. Yep. It is not... Surprising to me to hear that exchanges are spending hundreds of hours on this because it is much more far reaching through the tech stack than any other hard fork I've seen.
1: Yep, that is the reality of the situation. Basically, I probably hadn't really like looked very closely at what was going on in the Cosmos code base for like four or five months because I've been dealing with both, like, trying to sort of set strategic direction inside of Tendermint and then leaving Tendermint and then reorganizing the entire Cosmos ecosystem um, and trying to make that all of that work. And so Game of Zones happened. I sort of started to look at, like, what is actually going on here? um, And I realized, oh, you guys have decided to break everything. Um, And for all, like, good reasons that will make a huge difference in the future um, and, like, All of this stuff is like reasonable and logical and makes a lot of sense. And, you know, any point in time in which we'd waited even longer to make these changes, they would have been harder to do. Um, So, you know, all in all, it was like, I'm not expressing remotely any regret into it, but the Stargate upgrade was this immense lift to try to get a very widely integrated, very complex blockchain that has lots and lots of different integrations. The other thing about Cosmos, right, is it was Cosmos never really participated in the listing process with, uh, you know, the team or Tendermint or no one ever really like went out and got Cosmos listed on any exchange. So every exchange permissionlessly decided to integrate Cosmos and just every single exchange came up with their own completely unique integration, Oy. which has been so much fun to support.
0: <laughs> oh, my gosh. This sounds like such a huge endeavor. Let's do something for our listeners, though. And and also for me, actually, would you define Stargate as an upgrade like one upgrade? Or is it a set of upgrades, like do you bundle this all into one thing? And I guess the other question is: Is it over?
1: That was the reality of it. Is it was over? There is a point in which, like, you go through the Stargate. Right, you're on one side ah. and you're on the other side. It was, uh, <laughs> I, you know, the name has really has really turned out to work really really well. Like that visual metaphor of I'm on one side of the Stargate. The Stargate opens. I go through it, and I'm on the other side. I, I don't know how many people remember the TV show. It's on Netflix now. So there's like lots of people who can watch it. Yeah. yeah.
0: I mean, I, <laughs> I love that it. TV
1: show uh, uh, so much growing up, but like, yeah, this like metaphor of there's like a membrane and you're on the other side uh, and everything is different on the other yes. side. is like extremely accurate.
0: So are we on the other side? Yeah, we are on the other side today. Okay. So let's, let's go into this. So back to that question of, is it one upgrade or a series of upgrades?
1: Yeah, it was one upgrade. It was one event. That was the realization that like all of these changes that people were want that had made or were in the process of making had to be bundled together into one big, painful change that all had to be done at once because everything was so tightly coupled together that there was no other way.
2: Mm -hmm. So there were a number of major features that needed to be added or refactoring or things that needed to be changed and the decision was to bundle them all into one extremely painful upgrade and go through it all at once, right?
1: Yep.
0: What makes it painful? I want to understand this. Like you describe like the exchanges having to put all of these hours in, but like what does one of these exchanges actually do? Don't they just kind of like take new software that already exists and just like spin it up?
1: That is not in general, what an exchange looks like uh, uh, integration <laughs> looks like. Uh, and I, uh, it. it makes sense to me that like, very few people are familiar with this. So the first thing you can do is if you wanted to understand what an exchange integration looks like is you know Coinbase has, has done this Rosetta standard, right, which is essentially attempting to like formalize and standardize the interface between a cryptocurrency and exchange and a, a blockchain piece of software. And, you know, Cosmos is working on being uh, integrated in, into having a Rosetta integration. But if you look at all the exchanges where, like the scope of what's in Rosetta is the scope of what an exchange has to do. Uh, they have to be able to like send and receive funds, manage keys, manage usually hot and cold wallets, move funds back and forth between them. Um, many exchanges are integrated into proof of stake systems. So they need to be able to have the like staking rewards, unbonding, and as your blockchain becomes more featureful, uh, there are more opportunities for exchanges to integrate the features of your blockchain into their into their software. And exchanges may choose to do anything from use the queries and RPC calls of your network uh, that like your, your node provides to interact with the network, you use the API that your node provides to interact with the network, to like write thousands of lines of code directly in the Cosmos SDK to interact with the network. Again, every single exchange pretty much has a unique uh, version of this. The world of all exchanges just use Rosetta sounds like amazing and magical and fantastic um, and would make things like something like the Stargate upgrade a lot easier because there would only be one API surface area that you had to, to like migrate over the upgrade to. Uh, but I did not get to experience that world. I got to experience the world of everybody has a unique upgrade. And there are over 100 exchanges that list atoms. I have different relationships with them. uh, And I had to help them all with like random troubleshooting problems. And I'm probably still helping a bunch of them today.
2: This is really interesting to me. Uh, Working on some of these core blockchain clients like Geth and Gaia and, you know, Celo. I feel like we're targeting these at specific users, people who are, you know, independent devs running them at home or in the cloud and exchanges are so far outside of that uh, class of users they have completely different needs for a blockchain node so uh it sounds like the pain point here is that gaia itself is not serving the exchanges needs and they have all resolved that in different ways right yep and so you and the other you know gaia and cosmos developers have to go out to each exchange and help them you know update their bespoke setup
0: yep ouch
2: uh, that sounds incredibly <laughs> painful.
0: Yeah. Let's talk about, like, what's in it. What is it doing? I had Chris goes on the show, I think, or about a year ago, maybe maybe it was a year and a half ago, where he talked about IBC. So I know that IBC is a huge component. IBC meaning, like, basically the ability for these zones to actually interoperate. Thus, one yeah, of the key... For Cosmos
1: to be an internet of watch.
0: Exactly. For it to become what it's sort of set out to be. It's a huge thing. But... Is there, is there something else to this? Like, are there other kind of key changes that would even be recognizable to an outside viewer?
1: Yeah. So most of these changes are designed to improve quality of life, not really for like end users of our software, like atom holders, etc. Like IBC is probably the most like atom holder facing feature. Of this whole system, um, Got it. there've been there are like a couple of other minor things that are like related to like how the community pool can work and stuff like that. But like IBC is the big feature for 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 token holders. Okay. Really, what the focus of of Stargate was is this like totally reconceiving the developer experience and the node operator experience of running the uh, Cosmos software stack. So. Virtually, I mean, this is this is very much in the weeds. But when you write a blockchain, a big part of writing a blockchain is how data and transactions are actually written to the network and read from the network and written to disk. What are the transactions that are actually in the blocks? What do the blocks look like? And virtually every blockchain protocol, uh, Cosmos had an in-house, homegrown. Solution to what do the transactions actually look like as bytes on the wire? What do the blocks actually look like? And this homegrown solution was incredible pain point for developers. And the goal, like the biggest thing in Stargate, was we are going to reconceive this homegrown solution into something that uses a standard format that is widely used in the entire computing industry and is no longer a unique thing to blockchains and it kind of represents the overall goal of the direction of the Cosmos sort of developer community to make Cosmos look less and less like a special unique blockchain snowflake um, produced by some weirdos and more like a standard piece of internet infrastructure. And that change, that change was the thing that like is the reason why I had to talk to all of the exchanges and all of the wallets. Mm. And... Uh, all of the custodians and, and, and tell them because they had, what they had done is they'd all figured out their own ways of dealing with our like unique blockchain snowflake software.
0: Got it. Mm-hmm.
1: And the other thing that we did is that was extremely painful was we changed the entire inner workings. So every transaction that's on the network, all different, but we made maintained a, a backwards compatible interface for all of that. That is like 99% backwards compatible um, with the old version, allowing people to sometimes not have to do all of this upgrade all at once. But you know, like what part of the reality is, this: if you build something that is 99% compatible, um, you're going to run into the situation where like the 1% that's not compatible is going to break interfaces for someone. Um, and then you're going to have to deal with it.
3: mm mm-hmm.
2: Getting into, you know, kind of how transactions and blocks are stored and transmitted between nodes, I have a bit of a personal anecdote here. Uh, Early on in my Cosmos SDK development experience, we were at a hackathon trying to put together, you know, a very simple Cosmos module. And we kept running into an issue where a specific transaction uh, would always fail. And it wouldn't just fail during processing, it would fail signature checks on the node. And we couldn't figure out why, because we were building it and signing it just the same as all the others. What it turned out is that the client was sending an empty list. And when it went through the serialization and deserialization, the node was receiving, instead of the empty list, uh, nothing. So some step in there was taking what I had sent and signed, which was the empty list, and replacing it with uh, nothingness. And that's why the signature was no longer working is because the serialization and deserialization actually changed what we had sent.
1: So I have two responses to this. One is like, this is weird edge cases, um, Mm -hmm. is why it's better to use internet standard software. Um, So we have switched from Amino to Protobuf, which everyone uses. But the nightmare of Stargate is, is that we have maintained a lot of amino backwards compatibility. So there's actually a translation layer in the Stargate software between the new protobuf stuff uh, and the Amino stuff that has to be one-for-one bug compatible with the old Amino stuff. And, like, somehow this works.
2: I'm so sorry.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And, like, really, it goes to, like, Aaron and the regen team for, like, pulling off this miracle. It's pretty amazing that we this part of it went through the Stargate um, and we succeeded. And it was like it was painful and it was a lot of work and a lot of hours, but also pretty amazing that like we were able to pull this off.
2: Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's a really impressive bit of work, and um, I, I have to say that the new ProtoBuf stuff is much nicer to work with. And I am a huge fan of outsourcing maintenance of this to Google. Yes.
0: I, I kind of wonder with the Stargate. Upgrade like so far. I, I think of this as like it's focused mainly on the Cosmos Hub, but is it also across all the zones that have been built using the Cosmos SDK? This is what I kind of want to understand. Like, is it did they all have to upgrade something as well?
1: So, in order for them to participate in IDC to start sending tokens, participate in the Internet of Blockchains, they need to upgrade to Stargate. I see. So that's that's one piece of the story. A number of zones have either upgraded to Stargate, like Akash has upgraded to Stargate, um, or have announced that they are going to upgrade to Stargate. Um, there's quite a lot of demand right now for engineers who can do Stargate upgrades on Cosmos modules. Uh, so there's quite a lot of consulting going on doing that, um, like in, in the, the work that James is doing, upgrading his, uh, his Cosmos module to Stargate. So like, in order to get the internet of blockchains, you got to do Stargate. And, like, by doing the Cosmos Hub and doing the Cosmos Hub first, we, like, paved the way, right? Yeah. Every exchange that has an integration, their integration with the Hub is how they – was the basis for their integrations with all of the other chains.
0: Got it.
1: The other thing about Stargate is, like, really, like, once we went through this and we're not going back. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: The The Cosmos dev teams are only, like, really building stuff for the post-Stargate world. If people want the latest improvements to Tendermint and the Cosmos stack – they gotta to upgrade to Stargate too. The other realities of it is right is like in general, like all of development slowed down across the cosmos ecosystem um, because the Stargate upgrade was ongoing, uh, and people either didn't want to build stuff knowing that they would have to do the Stargate upgrade later mm-hmm. or like didn't want to build stuff on top of half completed versions of Stargate, which was probably not a bad bad decision for most people. And so now that we're on the other side of Stargate, it's actually a lot more scope for building stuff on top of Cosmos.
0: It's exciting times in the Cosmos ecosystem then. Zaki, thank you so much for the interview and giving us your perspective on the Stargate upgrade.
1: Yeah. Thanks, guys.
0: So now we're sitting with Tess Rainiersen, who's the VP of Engineering at Interchain GmbH and product owner for Tendermint Core, Welcome to the show, Tess. Hi, thank you so much. I'd love to find out a little bit, and also I think to give some context to our audience what exactly do you do as VP of Engineering at Interchain? And how do you exactly interface with the Stargate upgrade?
4: Yeah, totally. Um, that's a that's a good question and, and definitely merits a little bit of explanation. So um, at Interchain Gambeha, we focus on basically like three pillars of core technology for Cosmos. One of them is Tendermint Core, which is the consensus engine. Um, one of them is IBC, which, you know, everyone listening to this knows what IBC is. And then there's also Gaia, which is like the, the daemon that actually runs on the the Cosmos Hub. So it's like the software that kind of ties, you know, the Cosmos SDK together for the Cosmos Hub specifically. And I actually spend like 90 or 95% of my time focused on Tendermint Core. So I'm, you know, I said I'm the product owner for it. I'm the engineering manager for that team. I also, you know, sort of do manage um, the managers of the other teams at Interchain Ha and sort of like work on general, I don't know, engineering (laughs) management practice, for lack of a better word, for the company. But but I actually really focus mostly on Tendermint Core. And that's like where my, you know, technical passions and, and interests lie.
2: For people a little less familiar with the architecture, would you mind talking a little bit about the uh, separation between Tendermint Core and Gaia or the Cosmos SDK?
4: Yeah, totally. So, I mean, if you think of them as like an infrastructure stack, basically, which is, it's an imperfect analogy, but there is sort of this dependency direction to them. If you think of them as a stack, Tendermint Core is at the bottom. It is a algorithm for state machine replication. Usually when we say Tendermint, we're talking about like the algorithm, which is, you know, this proof of stake consensus algorithm that also borrows heavily from academic uh, distributed consensus algorithms. And, And that's actually kind of why I like it. It's like this kind of funny very cool, like hybrid of sort of these ideas from blockchains and these like incentivized systems. And then also this very academic, like classic distributed systems thinking. So that's one of the things I really like about it. So it's this almost agnostic protocol for replicating state in this way. You know, you don't necessarily even really need like a blockchain or a cryptocurrency to use something like Tendermint. So that's, that's at the bottom. And it just lets you again, replicate state from one node to another in a network. And then you have the Cosmos SDK, which actually provides like an application layer on top of Tendermint. So most people who are building you know, Cosmos blockchains are going to use the Cosmos SDK. Um, there are some other blockchain applications that use Tendermint directly, but uh, you know, for the sake of this conversation, I'll focus on the, the Cosmos side of things. So Cosmos is like one layer up. And, you know, the analogy that people sometimes like to make with Cosmos, an aspirational analogy in many ways, but people like to say it's like Rails for blockchains. It's really meant to be this framework, this tooling that makes it really easy for anyone to spin up a blockchain pretty quickly. You know, again, a little bit aspirational, but that's uh, that's the goal. And I think it's a a good one. Um, and then Gaia, like I said, it's, it's the daemon. So it's like literally like the software process <laughs> that runs on the Cosmos hub. So if you are trying to join the Cosmos hub, you need to run an instance of Gaia and Gaia is built using the Cosmos SDK. So you have this like, this like set of layers going up almost for like 10 minutes at the bottom. And then there's the Cosmos SDK and then there's Gaia. Now this does beg the question, like, where does IBC fit into all of this? Right?
2: I was just about to ask.
4: Yeah. So (laughs) it's the natural, uh, the natural thing to wonder next. And so, you know, I'll, I'll channel Chris Goes here for a moment, who's sort of the original author of IBC. And I'll point out that, that IBC is really like a blockchain network agnostic protocol. So when we talk about IBC as a protocol, we're really talking about the specification, the paper, you know, the, the protocol that has to be spoken and not the implementation. But the way that IBC is implemented for the Cosmos network is in the Cosmos SDK. So there's a module, the Cosmos SDK is comprised of all of these modules that let you do different things, whether that's staking, or I think there's like accounts, account management, or I think there's even like different consensus modules if you don't want to use Tendermint for some reason. Um, you know, breaks my heart, but uh, I, I understand. Um, and anyway, there's an IBC module within the Cosmos SDK, and that is where IBC for the cosmos hub is is implemented. Again, that distinction is a little bit pedantic, but I think Chris would be upset with me if I didn't say it, so I'll be, make that really clear. I suspect he would. <laughs>
0: I kind of want to go back. I have just a, another question about Gaia. Mm-hmm. I just want to take a quick step back. Is that the client? Or is the client in it somehow? Like, is it, is it a version of uh, the SDK? Or is it a specific client software? This is what I'm not saying. Um, I think it depends on what you mean by the client. <laughs> I guess I'm thinking always in like the Ethereum context of like, you're running a geth client. You're running a node with this particular software.
4: I think it is. If you want to both know more about Gaia specifically, and also understand the comparisons to Ethereum, I know you're talking to Shahan next, and he both like comes from the Ethereum world and works all the time on Gaia. So he he is Perfect. your guy there. Like he will <laughs> okay. he will he will he will, he will he will tell you conclusively. Yeah, sounds good.
2: Okay, can I can I take a shot at an analogy here?
4: Go for it, please.
2: You know, Tendermint Core is the engine. You know, at the center of this machine, Cosmos SDK is going to be how you uh, you know get the gas in and the energy or movement out of the engine, and then Gaia is the actual like machine that we've built.
4: Yeah, I think that's a pretty a pretty good analogy.
2: It's it's not uh, perfect. It needs work.
0: <laughs> Maybe by the end of this episode, you'll have it. Yeah,
2: we we can reshoot later. Take this part okay. out. <laughs>
0: Um, so let's let's now kind of turn our attention to Stargate and how, like, we learned just before from Zucky how kind of his perspective on what this upgrade looked like and the kinds of work he had to do. But I'm really curious from where you're sitting, like, what did this upgrade actually mean?
4: Yeah. So, you know, I think especially coming from sort of like the Tendermint core perspective, like kind of the lower level core engineer side of things, Stargate really represented like the culmination of probably a year and a half of work to prepare the Cosmos infrastructure for IBC. So, you know, I think as some people will know, the Cosmos hub had launched in like early 2019 and it, it launched, you know, as, as many systems launch as sort of like a like a first draft, right? There were a lot of things that were like everyone's best guess of how the system should work and how it should be laid out and what encoding algorithm it should use for things and how, you know, how it should serialize data or what data structures should be used. And, um, you know, some of those things turned out to, like, not necessarily have been the right choice, which is just how this goes. That said, you know, because this is a blockchain, it's actually very difficult sometimes to make these changes. If we were working in a system that, you know, had had mutability or didn't need to have this, like, long, immutable, consistent history, things would be a little bit easier to change. But with blockchains, you know, often you have to, to treat these kinds of changes as, as huge breaking changes. And so that, I think is kind of the reason that Stargate became a whole thing mm. right is like is like the core teams had to kind of rethink a few of the assumptions that turned out to like maybe not be as usable as they'd hoped, or like the performance wasn't there. And, you know, again, this is a very natural part of software evolution, but I think one of the things that's like kind of novel for blockchains versus like more traditional software development is that you have to figure out things like how to get around this immutability issue. And so I think that's kind of like, I think it was, it was actually, it was Zucky's idea to say, you know, we should really brand this launch because we're going to need so many people on board and, you know, all the clients are going to break and all the wallets are going to break and everything. Valid, It's going to be you know a huge thing for validators. And I think a lot of that was really driven by this uh, change to the serialization format. So basically the first version of, of Cosmos and Tendermint and all of that used like an in-house encoding algorithm for serializing data. And it just wasn't as performant or as usable as We wanted it to be. And so, um, you know, there was basically a huge migration process that took a really long time. Um, and it took, you know, many smart people working for many, many hours, um, to make the switch over and to do it in a way that wouldn't be breaking. And so that I think, you know, again, this is like really, really biased as someone who's like working on like kind of low level, the stuff that's kind of at the bottom of the stack. But to me, that was actually like the motivating thing for. The, even the branding of it as Stargate and 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 all of that. It was like, this is the thing that's so breaking. We know it's really important because this is like so foundational, but it's going to be so breaking. We can't just like rip the bandaid off or like pull the rug out from everyone. This is actually going to become something where we need everyone to buy into mm. it together. Mm. And the amazing thing is that, you know, people like Zucky, and and I think chiefly Zucky, were able to go around and really rally that support from, you know, not only all of the development teams across the ecosystem, but, you know, partners and and wallets and exchanges and and do all of that work. Um, So yeah, I mean, it's kind of like the most boring or kind of this, this huge branded release. Um, But from where I sit, that that really was one of the biggest, if not the biggest motivations for this whole thing.
2: Okay. I have a a couple questions about this. Um, First, was the idea behind branding it that you know, you couldn't rally companies and the ecosystem around a numbered release. And so we had to make this something special that people would get behind.
4: I, you know, I don't want to say it's like, oh, people couldn't get excited about a numbered release because that makes it sound like people are frivolous or something. I think it's more that it's just confusing. Like, it's it's better to have like, like something that's that's tangible. And like, frankly, we had to change the numbered release that we thought it was going to be a couple times. And and mm. and also it was useful to have something that was like a like a moment that we could point to and we could say like, this is the Tendermint Core version that's going to support Stargate. This is the Cosmos SDK version that's going to support Stargate. And this is the Gaia version. Those numbers are all different. So if mm. you can kind of package them all up and say this is, you know, this is the Stargate release bundle effectively. Um, you know, this is the set of software that we will run when we all go through the Stargate together. You know, if you can do that, it, it, it's just an easier story to tell.
2: Because it touches so many pieces. It's not just, you know, a couple releases here and there. It's a, you know ongoing project.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, Got it. Totally. One one thing we didn't get a chance to talk about with Zucky was kind of the... Because what we talked about mostly with him was that he was doing a lot of communicating. Exactly mm-hmm. this thing you were saying of like sending the message out, getting everybody together. But I'm kind of curious on the timeline, like was the work already done? Had a lot of the build been finished and then there was this period of communication? Or was it like communicated and then you had to work? Like I'm kind of curious how that happened.
4: There was some overlap. So I joined the project in like... Late fall 2019, which is to say, I haven't been with it for that long. And you know, at the time, a lot of these changes had actually already been decided, but it wasn't really clear how they were going to actually end up on the hub. So, like, people knew they wanted to change the serialization format, or like they knew that you know there was a path forward for IBC, or like there mm-hmm. were a few major Tendermint core features that like we knew we wanted to do. So there kind of was a path there, and the question mark, big question mark, was like, what does it actually look like to get this onto the hub? And we had been writing the software and doing the development for several months before the communications started. But the comms phase that Zaki sort of ran and managed definitely began before the software was finished. So, like, he was working on rallying the troops starting in, like... July or August of last year. I think if he said something different, he's, he's going to remember more clearly than I did, but it was, it was last summer. And then, you know, at that time, like the Tendermint core team, and again, cause it's the stack, the Tendermint core team has to finish their work first, right? Again, you can, you can start building on top of it, but you can't, you have to cut the releases in order. So, so the Tendermint core team at that time was like mostly done with the work. We were like wrapping up a few, you know, outstanding things. And really we were running, like putting out what we call release candidates. So like Mm -hmm. things that we think will be the software that will run on the hub for sort of the next major tenement release. That process lasted a few months and we had lots of people try the RCs out, uh, find problems, and then we go back and fix them. And so I think it was like the first week of November or maybe the end of October when we actually cut that final release for Stargate.
0: Was the Game of Zones kind of during that era or was it after or before? Game of Zones is
4: actually a little bit before. Okay. Um, and the reason that we could do that, I think, was that um, w- that was really testing like the IBC piece of it specifically, which didn't depend on like fully ratified changes like all the way down the stack, if that makes sense. You could kind of test Got that in. piece a little bit in isolation. And that's what Game of Game of Zones is all about. Um, that said, there were so many later test nets that happened, you know, maybe with slightly smaller prizes or a little bit less advertised, but like many, many test nets were run, you know, I- I leading up to Stargate that that Zucky and, and others, other teams also um, managed. Um, and those were instrumental in in finding bugs and, and helping mm-hmm. us get stuff fixed. Cool. So yeah.
2: interesting. Um, You mentioned that, uh, you know, there was a lot of people feeling like they would eventually move away from Amino or, you know, people wanted to do this. Mm -hmm. And I remember from being involved in Cosmos a few years back (laughs) that everybody disliked Amino, but nobody was willing to do anything about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Would you say there was like a specific person or event that, you know, turned this from mild distaste to actual action on a big scale?
4: Um... (sighs) I don't know that there was any single person or event. You know, I, I will say that this work when, when I joined the project, and and I joined the project again to kind of like lead Tendermint core. When I joined the project, that feeling was very, very strong. And the work had already begun to to remove Amino and replace it with protocol buffers. So that was not my decision. You know, I, I also stood by the team in that decision, and I was like, "This is something we're we're going forward with." This was not something that every single person in the the ecosystem wanted, and there was a there was a Tendermint fork briefly called Tendermint Classic, that had um, Amino in it. Still, I, I don't think that project is still under development. But like, I'll just be honest, this was not like a universally mm-hmm. beloved decision. Um, but it was something the team really wanted to do, and I know a lot of users really wanted it too. And so you know, I I think it was, it was helpful to have someone who was at least nominally in a leadership position. I was like brand new to the project. So like, what, what did I know? But like I was nominally in a leadership position and I said, you know, I really trust this team and I trust the way they want to execute on this. And so I, I think that that helped, you know, around the same time that that decision really was ratified, that was also the time that Interchange GmbH was formed. And that was another thing too. It's like, it's like Interchange GmbH you know, it's, it's, it's a safe space for, for core engineering. Mm -hmm. That's the, that's the joke. And it's a, it's a place where people can make decisions like that, that might be a little bit politically unpopular, but like technically correct. Mm -hmm. Um, obviously I'm biased Mm -hmm. when I say that also, but like, that's, that's really what it's meant to be. It's like, it's like, we're, we're kind of liberated from, other initiatives that are happening in the ecosystem. And we can really just try to focus on building like the best core technology that's going to serve as many people as possible. That and that's that's the mandate. And that's really why Interchain hall exists.
2: That's a great mandate.
0: Thanks. <laughs> what you just described, you said this, there was this like very short fork, but like, was that fork when you did the Stargate upgrade? Or was that fork when you did something else in the past? Because I thought it was all bundled into this one thing.
4: That was something that I won't beat around the bush here. Um, this is something that Jay Kwan, the original author of Tendermint, wanted to keep using Amino. And um, uh-huh. so he forked the project you know, I think at at the point at which it became clear that this amino removal initiative was going to proceed. And so I don't remember exactly when that happened. I think it was maybe about a year ago. I'm not, I'm not totally sure. There's no bad blood there or hard feelings. This is just one of those things that happens, right. In blockchain development, like sometimes you have a political disagreement or like a technical disagreement and someone forks the the code base. Um, And sometimes those things reconcile again later, and sometimes they don't. In this case, you know, I think from a community perspective, there wasn't an enormous amount of contention. And again, I think it also really speaks to organizing scale and also the strength of the Cosmos community that there wasn't any confusion there, right? And people were like, "No, we know what you want." Mm-hmm. We know that we want to move forward with with Stargate. This is not a big a big issue in any way, um, but I, I just Got mentioned it. this just to say, you know, like sometimes there are technical disagreements, yeah. and, and this is how this goes. I think when you said fork, I thought fork the blockchain, oh, but you yeah. just meant fork no, the no, code sorry. base. Yeah. Like that's, the word cool. fork is is so overloaded.
2: Overloaded. I just
4: yeah. There's like yeah. I'm I'm just glad that I work in a system where we don't get the forks that are like an accident of consensus. And these like probabilistic, like mm-hmm. proof of work type, type chains. So at least we don't have to worry about that kind of fork. <laughs> no, I just meant a fork of the of the repository, a fork of the code and of the project. Um, Got it.
2: Are you worried about consensus failures between uh, you know like the Go implementation and Rust one if that ever gets completed?
4: You know, I think I think the, the Rust implementation has been a great forcing factor for the whole project to get really, really scrupulous about the specification. And fortunately, there's a lot of other reasons to also be scrupulous about the specification. I mean, there's the usual, like, like the table stakes, like if you have a good spec, then you're going to have better code. Like, you know, that's just table stakes. But there's also all this work that informal systems is doing to actually formally specify tendermint and then like formally verify that specification. Um, So there's lots of reasons to be you know, to have an implementation and a spec that are very true to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for that reason, because that work is happening, I'm less worried about the Rust implementation and the Go implementation diverging from each other. You know, it, it is a risk, um, but there's always a risk in these consensus systems that something breaks consensus. Like that is that is our one job, right, <laughs> is, is preventing that. And yeah. so, um, you know, it's something that we'll be careful about, mm-hmm. but not I'm not super worried about it at the moment.
2: Interesting. Um, it's an extremely difficult job. Uh, one of the recent geth ones was caused by a shallow copy, deep copy optimization.
0: Yeah, it's there's so many ways to screw things up. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there are. One thing that I'm still curious about is like during this upgrade, the mm-hmm. actual upgrade time. Mm-hmm. Like, what was that like? In a way, like what was that like in general? Like how how was that really rolled out? And also, yeah. what was it like for you? What were you actually doing?
4: Oh, man. So <laughs> it was extremely stressful. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I mean, it was one of those things where like, I knew that it was potentially going to be all hands on deck and that people are going to be standing by for it. The scheduled upgrade time was also like six a m my time, which is just like a kind of a brutal i mean it's a global community, it's a global True. project. I think it was timed for the convenience of the exchanges in asia explicitly um for some reason. I don't know all the details there, but like you know it's it's a it's a political decision actually to decide when the upgrade goes um and I drew the short stick basically but um, <laughs> but so it's kind of this 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 tricky timing and you know I'll say from a tendermint core side it's like our software had been pretty much stabilized and had been, you know, we cut the the, the Stargate version of Tendermint back in November and the upgrade was in February. Okay. Um, and what was actually great about that is that it gave the software some time to mature. And like I said, there are non-Cosmos users of Tendermint and some of them actually started using, you know, the Stargate version of Tendermint before Cosmos did, and some of them found some bugs, uh, which was great. And we were able to work with them to, to get those bugs fixed. Um, so I'll give a particular shout out here to crypto.com. Their team serviced a security issue and helped us test it, and they were just like fantastic partners. So they mm. were they were awesome. Anyway, so you know, some some things have been serviced, but on the whole, it's like, yeah, this software's been around for a few months. Like it seems pretty stable. It's pretty okay. And then at about eleven thirty. PM, the night before the 6am upgrade, (sighs) I got a message from someone that said, hey, I submitted a security issue to your hacker one, and it looks like it's stuck in triage. I just wanted to let you know that my private keys are all over my logs for his validators, like his consensus keys. They'll let you like you know, sign blocks. And also like, if you misuse them, the validator gets punished. We're being leaked all over his logs Mm -hmm. and logs, you know, sometimes get shipped off to log providers. Like a log is not a secure place. And I was like, Oh oh, God. And what had happened was that, you know, like I said, the Cosmos SDK is a downstream dependency of Tendermint Core. And I'm going to get a little bit detailed here, but it's like, it's like, I think it'll be interesting to any programmer. Um, what had happened is that the Cosmos SDK changed their logging library um, to something that when you passed it an object would use reflection to look at the like internals of the object while Tendermint Core was using a logging library that assumed that you'd call the string method on any object and you get the string representation. So we had in the Tendermint Core code base this particular private key type. And the one that we were using is like, the, or the one that was a problem is like local key storage, which is like, no one really should be using in production. So like, probably like it's not super secure anyway. So probably not that big of a deal, but just like a really bad vibe and look to have these keys here. Well, so, so, so what had happened is that Tendermint Core expected, you know, this thing to be stringified and the SDK was actually looking at the object itself and the string, mm-hmm. the two string method in Tendermint would strip out the private key material. But if you look at the object itself, you can get that private key material. And so that's what had happened. It was this discrepancy between the logging libraries, which is like the most mundane thing you can think of, but it had this really ugly effect. Like really, it just like looked catastrophic. Even if, again, you probably shouldn't be using this type of key, this this file storage for your keys in production you know, we were like, probably someone is, you know, if you tell, Mm -hmm. if you tell programmers not to do something, they're going to do it. And so basically, you know, with, with about six or seven hours on the clock, I was like, all right, we gotta, we gotta figure this out. And it wasn't obvious at that point when I saw this problem that the the problem was the logging library thing. It was just like, something is wrong. (gasps) And so fortunately I was able to rope in a few folks, you know, um, uh, Alexander Bez, who is known as Bez, uh, who's a longtime Cosmos contributor who's working on Tendermint Core now. He's in New York, so he wasn't asleep yet. So I basically called him up and I was like, what's going on? And he and I looked at it. Um, and um, you know, he, he has worked on both the Cosmos and the Tendermit sides. And so he was the one who, who was able to diagnose it because he, he knew both code bases really well. And then we like tried to cut a new release and there had been a Go release that week, which broke all of our uh, release tooling. So, oh like, where, like, our release tooling expected a different version of Go than we were using because <laughs> a new version of Go had been released two days earlier. And it was just this, like, series of unfortunate events, basically, that unfolded at, like, three or four in the morning, like, two Whoa. hours before the release happened.
0: But you know what's wild? You can just, you feel how much, like, as much as it's, it's a technical thing, there is kind of, like, a, a right way that this works. But it is this emotional thing as well where it's, like, if things like this happen, mm-hmm. it just throws off the entire process it sounds like you can't just push through that stuff because it will hurt it will it will do something totally
4: and so like I was up really late Alessio who works at Tenderman Inc uh, was up really late Shahan was up super late well I guess it wasn't super late for him yet but he still had to get up really (laughs) early the next day to deal with like all this stuff and so I basically got the release done at like 4 30 in the morning And then I went to bed and then I woke up at six to just like see if the release had started. And I was like too tired to function. So I went back to sleep. And then there was like a, um, we did a little uh, launch party, which was super fun. But that was like a couple hours later. I got up for that and then I went back to bed, Um, which is all to say that I pretty much slept through the actual (laughs) Stargate release. (laughs) So I, 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 um, I had a lot of stuff to deal with right up until that point. Um, and then it was actually amazing to look back on because the the validators and the community members were so incredibly supportive of each other and of helping each other out. And, you know, Mm -hmm. there were people from core teams who were standing by and helping, helping out with things, but there were a number of people who are community members and who are running validators who are just like, Helping each other out, answering questions. I don't actually know the details of this again, partly because I slept through it. But there were some things that just took longer with the upgrade than expected, and I think Shahan will be able to speak to that. But you know, pe- people were really able to help each other out and say like, "Oh, this is what worked for me," or like, "Oh, it took me two hours to get through this phase." Like, just hang in there, and that was really, really amazing to see.
2: That's an incredible story, and you know, I, I have to say that. I have literally had nightmares about dealing with the Go module release system. <laughs> uh, so I am so sorry that you had to go through that. You know, at midnight, right before a major launch.
4: Yeah, well, the the sort of it is funny because the the story is, you know, the Go module system. Like blockchains has a certain aspect of immutability to it. And so, if you look at our change logs and our our go modules and all of that, you can actually kind of see the history of like there's a couple um release attempts that that didn't happen. And so tendermint, o thirty four six and o thirty four seven are just like no op releases. like they just don't actually exist. they're They're artifacts
0: of a failed build process um, or failed release process. The story you just told that was the actual night of the actual upgrade. But the upgrade had also been sort of delayed. That was a different thing, right? That was two weeks prior to this? Yeah. So
4: one of the things that, you know, and I don't remember the exact cause of that delay, but you know, the way that these upgrades get scheduled is someone has to submit a governance proposal and then there's like a voting period for the governance proposal. And then two weeks after the governance proposal goes through, then the upgrade is actually like scheduled to happen, basically. And I think that the first governance proposal went out, and even in that first proposal, at some point while it was live and we were waiting for the release, that was when that security issue that Crypto.com found and helped the Tendermint core team out with that was when that surfaced. So there was like a like a date scheduled, and the thing about these uh, these scheduled upgrades is that they point to a specific commit hash on Gaia. So everyone's committed to running like a specific version of the software. And uh, if you change it, that's like, that's like not part of the governance. You know, that, that's not what people voted for, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in the case of that particular Tendermint core issue that I just described, we actually were able to make the change for that in such a way that like, you could still run the commit hash in the proposal and it would be compatible with the patched version. And so we told people, you know, you really should upgrade to the patched version and, you know, you, you can run the one in the in the proposal if you want to verify that that's what's happening. You can do that, but we recommend you run this patch one. So that kind of seemed fine. And then I think there was another issue that emerged. I think in Cosmos SDK or Gaia itself, I, I don't remember the details of this one. But that was one where, where we could not get around it in that way. And so that was why mm-hmm. it got re- rescheduled. Or it wasn't just that there was a bug. It was that there was a bug that was where patching the bug was going to be incompatible with the um, scheduled version. Got it. And so it was at that point that we said, OK, we need to restart this process.
0: Well, this is such... I mean, thank you so much for sharing this story of your experience kind of going through the Stargate and going through this upgrade our next interview is with Shahan, and we hope that in that interview, we can actually hear kind of a little bit more on that exact time of the upgrade and what's happened since. Thanks so much for your part of the story.
4: Yeah, my and pleasure. This is super fun. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, this was super, super fun. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Cool. So, I want to welcome our last guest of this three part interview series, Shahan, who's the Cosmos Hub lead. Welcome to the show, Shahan.
3: Thank you for inviting me to your podcast. I'm very excited to chat with you today. We're very excited to have you.
0: So we've had an interview with Zucky, who shared his perspective on what was happening, like from the perspective of iClusion mainly. We heard from Tess about the actual, like Stargate launch day in some detail. Now, what we want to do with this portion of the episode is to hear from you as the Cosmos Hub lead, what it was like for you to go through it and also hear a little bit about what's happened since. But before we start into that, um, maybe just say a few words about what you actually work on and what being the Cosmos Hub lead actually means. Uh,
3: Sure. Uh, As in my role as Cosmos Hub Lead, I'm responsible for communicating and gaining agreement on the hub roadmap from the diverse dev teams and the validators that participate with the hub. So I'm new to the role. It's, uh, it was around three months, uh, four months uh, when the Stargate upgrade was taking place. So I was quite new to the ecosystem. And what that meant was uh, communicating a lot with the dev teams at the different layers, the Tenderman team, the Cosmos SDK team, and those who had been managing the Gaia application uh, over the years and trying to understand what exactly the upgrade uh, required. The upgrade itself was quite straightforward uh, on paper. And the most complex equation of this upgrade was uh, the communication with the validators, uh, with the dev teams, making sure everything was in sync and making sure that everybody knew what to do when. This Stargate upgrade was quite intense and required the stopping of the chain. uh, And it was a coordinated effort. Hmm.
0: You're pretty new to this role, like you started and then very soon after were faced with this upgrade. Yeah. Um, What was that like? When did you actually start?
3: My uh, start date was end of November, (laughs) beginning of December. Wow. Uh, The first uh, two months uh, of my onboarding was essentially talk to as many people as I could and go through the stack. Prior to joining Cosmos, I was uh, aware of the Tendermint uh, consensus algorithm, so I had a strong understanding of that. But it was the rest of the stack, which was a very deep and a very interesting <laughs> uh, uh, scan through code. At the same time, this Stargate upgrade was a migration of old code to new code. So it was very interesting exploration, trying to figure out which parts were old, which parts were new. Uh, and, and trying to answer the questions was very hard for me, but essentially my focus was on the upgrade itself and the coordination around that with the, uh, and the communication. Making nice. sure that all parties were aware of what their responsibilities were and making sure that if there were any issues, they would be addressed by the right parties.
2: I mean, that's a really interesting position to be in. You've just joined the ecosystem. Uh, You have almost no idea what's going on. You're trying to catch up to speed really quickly. And uh, your
3: job is to coordinate everyone all at once. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Did you know what you were getting into?
3: (laughs) Yeah. um, My background is from the Ethereum land. Okay. (laughs) I have a lot of expertise with enterprise blockchains and Ethereum mainnet stuff, but What is different here is that the Cosmos ecosystem runs a different form of consensus algorithm. So the way that the network upgrades is different than how things proceed in Ethereum land. Mm -hmm. And what I enjoy about this community is that everybody is on board and in tune. And there is an on-chain governance mechanism that people participate in. So there's a lot of activity and involvement from the validators in the development and the roadmap in agreeing with what's coming up with the hub. So this social coordination mechanism and the on-chain governance, they work very well together to signal what's coming up and introduces a, a fairly straightforward process amongst the parties.
0: When you say you're the Cosmos Hub lead, like we, we learned from Tess about the different layers of the stack and the fact that Like Gaia is sort of the, I don't know, we were kind of confused about like whether you call that a client or if it's a interpretation, I don't know. And maybe you can explain a little bit exactly what is the Cosmos Hub and how should we understand that?
3: Great question. Uh, This was probably a question I didn't even know to ask in my first month. The Cosmos stack, as far as I can see, is built up of the Tendermint uh, consensus layer, which is essentially a way for validators to agree on some data. And the Cosmos SDK is the layer on top, which relies on Tendermint to communicate the business, somewhat business logic-y stuff. And then Gaia imports the Cosmos SDK and is actually the application or the client that runs the Cosmos Hub, the current version Mm -hmm. of the Cosmos Hub. So... uh, Essentially, Tendermint is the consensus library that can operate for other business logic, and Cosmos SDK is typically the library that's used by partner chains in order to develop their own chains or zones.
0: But the hub also depends on it, I guess. Like, if you change the Cosmos SDK or add something to it, the hub could potentially use that.
3: That's correct, yeah. Uh, When there is a change in the underlying libraries, Guy is essentially the downstream partner of these development teams, and we co- do some coordination. And uh, when there's a new release, Gaia also will tend to have a new release. In the most recent weeks, there have been a few. Uh, there has been one upgrade, a uh, security release, that required some coordination in that manner. And uh, it's straightforward to do a release. It just bump the version and cut a new release. Right now, Gaia, as a client or application, has some functionality uh, mainly for on-chain governance for token transfers but what's coming up are some exciting modules like uh, a bridge with ethereum and a decentralized exchange and including those modules into the hub will require increasing amounts, amounts of coordination and that's mm-hmm. when things will get interesting so the stargate upgrade as a pretty involved process was a good first step in that <laughs> in, in <my laughs> trial experience. by
0: fire Training ground. It's only getting
3: easier from here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Trial by fire is probably the most heard expression I've I've, (laughs) I've heard. (laughs) In the team? Yeah.
0: (laughs) So now we understand the hub. We understand how the hub interacts with the Cosmos SDK. But like what actually happened during the Stargate upgrade? Like from where you were sitting, were you just like updating Gaia? The whole time? Or what was it exactly? Um, so
3: I was just sitting and watching, really. Um, <laughs> uh, so as you heard from Tess, there, there was a security patch issued and Guy applied an update that included that. And uh, once the release was available, the the nodes were then informed that this is the Version that they would have to update to. The actual process by the validators uh, would be they stop their client, they export their state, they migrate their state, they install the latest version of the client, and then they start their client. So just a few commands, <laughs> really, mm-hmm. um, but the process took some time.
0: Uh, and I bet. If you have enough people, they'll find every way to do that wrong somehow. <laughs> Am I right?
3: Yes, of course. <laughs> Starting from reading or not reading documentation. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, not Wait, like supposed a to read that? manual, like a vacuum manual.
0: <laughs> I mean, this is really, it's very obvious that you'd have the validators doing the upgrading. And I know that that's how it worked. But it's so interesting that like, when you think of this hub, it's not its not like you Updated anything? That's how I had asked it. And sorry about that. It's completely like every single validator going through the process. So for your your work, then, it was really like preparing all of that documentation and being ready to answer all the questions.
3: That's right. Yeah, and being aware of potentially some contingencies. So if if the version had to change, as it did from the original governance proposal, uh, the original proposal had a particular commit hash of Gaia. Which then changed, and the original proposal couldn't change, so there needed to be some way to communicate the version to update to. Of course, people, uh, some folks would be who who are diehard on-chain governance uh, supporters would be like, "Well, I didn't vote for that version, so I'm going to stick mm. to this version." And, uh, of course, people are free to do what they want. um, But essentially, the upgrade was very smooth. It took some time because the uh, migration itself, some of the steps took uh, a few hours. And it also required uh, some time zone coordination because the validators are spread globally. So probably after uh, five hours or six hours, there was a majority over 50% of the validators that had upgraded. And I think it took uh, around six and a half hours for the 66% mark to be passed.
0: And that's what you were looking for, I guess. That was the threshold of the upgrade.
3: That's right. Yep, exactly.
0: But what happened to the folks that didn't upgrade? Are they still not upgraded?
3: Don't think there's a way f- to find out which validators are running an old version. But the old uh, any validators uh, that didn't upgrade, they wouldn't connect to the network.
0: So they're just not hmm. earning anything at That's that point, right, yeah. Okay. <laughs>
3: yeah, they would be... <laughs> they
0: might notice. <laughs>
3: Maybe. <laughs> yeah, that's right.
2: Hopefully. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about what makes this upgrade different from like an ETH hard fork? The typical hard fork process is that we choose a flag height, at which all of the nodes smoothly switch over. Um, what specifically made you know Stargate such a big deal that we had to stop the chain for six
3: hours? Yeah, it's a good question. It, it starts to get into the more technical aspect. The Tenderman algorithm is a BFT-style algorithm, uh, Byzantine fault-tolerant-style algorithm. And what that means is that the validators are known, and uh, in order for the consensus to change or the state to be able to change via this hard fork, the validators, the majority of those validators need to conduct their upgrade. In Ethereum land, a hard fork is essentially Trying to convince the validators to update their client, and if they choose not to, then they can continue a separate chain. They will have, uh, there will be a chain split, and some validators will be on the old fork, and some will be on the new fork.
0: But when you say validators, you're, do you mean like miners in current right. Ethereum, not, yeah. not validators in future Ethereum? That's right. Yeah. Okay. Minus, (laughs) got it. I guess they're, I mean, they play the same role. So That's
3: right. Yeah. And uh, it's a bit interesting because uh, staking is available in in Hub, but it runs a BFT style. So it's not, it is a proof of stake system, but not like Ethereum, which runs a different consensus mechanism, essentially.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Casper versus PBFT.
3: Uh, Yeah. Yeah, that's right.
0: When we spoke to Tess, she shared this story of like how kind of hour by hour <laughs> this process was going. And there was like a bit of a hiccup, or there, at least optically, there was something that looked strange. I mean, she kind of mentioned you you were kind of in it with her, or you were, you were also online at this time. What was it like from your perspective? What was happening?
3: From my perspective, I saw a lot of devs. Diving into code, trying to resolve the issue. And they got that figured out very quickly. They are true experts. They are very familiar with the SDK and the uh, Tendermint stack. And so from my perspective, I was just really waiting and looking for the latest release of the Tendermint or Cosmos SDK libraries. Once that release took place, it was essentially a few steps to cut a new Gaia release to bump the versions and then issue a new version. After that, it was essentially communicating that version uh, to the validators. So we have a verified validators channel on Discord where validators were asked to keep watch on uh, for events like these. Um, And once that took place, we were essentially waiting for the moment time uh, to stop the blockchain. Perhaps optimization we can do next time is for the Stargate upgrade, we had selected a time-based halt uh, versus a block height-based halt. And we were trying to do that so that the time-based coordination would work out more easily so that we would know which time zones would be most affected or not and make sure there were enough people online, because with a block-based halt, it means that the time could drift. So the side effect of choosing a time-based halt was that when the chain actually stopped, there were a couple of validators that had already passed the time of halt. And essentially, there was this discussion of which block should be picked for the migration to occur at. So there was a a very interesting voting and social coordination of, okay, well, uh, there's this block that was past the halt height, and Sonny pointed out very clearly, okay, any blocks after the halt height shouldn't be included in the migration, so let's pick this number. That was probably uh, a key moment of the upgrade.
2: (laughs) Mm. I I think this is such an interesting example of how uh, difficult it is to even talk about time in a distributed system. Uh, Your software is running on 100 nodes worldwide. Each of those computers is going to have their clock set slightly differently. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, It it was very interesting. And even with the halt height set to whatever it was, and the blocks still have a few seconds to get produced. And it was very interesting to see that even with that, a majority of validators did produce a, an, an additional block past the height The time.
0: Okay. I, I was wondering about that. Like, was anything lost in that upgrade? Like, what could happen? Is, is there, like, transactions that get lost sometimes? Or, like, what can oh, happen in that moment? that's a good question.
3: Yes. If there was a transaction that was issued in that last block, uh, when, the, when the hub was restarted, those transactions would not be included in the, in the migration. Oh,
0: wow. Can you imagine someone sent by accident tokens in a direction and then like magically they were back? Yeah. (laughs) That would be the best case scenario of something like that. But
3: (laughs) yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, Well, if that was for a payment that was uh, validated for only five seconds, then (laughs) yeah, that would be a a risk. (laughs) Yeah. What other things could have gone wrong? I think One of the other challenges that some of the validators uh, ran into was in order to have robust systems, they would have uh, a few nodes running, And some nodes might be in front of their validator nodes. So uh, because of these architectural decisions that they've made, and sometimes we have some clarity into the architectures, trying to figure out which nodes should be upgraded first, which nodes don't have to be upgraded. Those types of instructions also had to be shared prior Mm. slash during the upgrade.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Is this something where you had to do a little bit of a forensic examination to figure out what setup the validator was using and how to upgrade it safely?
3: We didn't do so much of that. I think it was, uh, at least for the core devs, it was fairly straightforward about what had to be upgraded at what point. Essentially, if a node was acting as a validator, it had to be updated, but all other nodes did not necessarily have to be updated in that manner. They didn't have to go through the export Mm. and migration. Uh, They would just start with a new binary and then continue, and then they would sync on the new chain. But given that, with the current kind of security upgrade that happened recently and trying to improve the process and documentation for future upgrades, there is uh, a plan to have these playbooks for how to upgrade these validators, what are common architectures that... Companies are using uh, and providing more support as the number of validators increase, and just giving them, getting them used to this this whole experience. It's fairly straightforward to run a validator, in my opinion, <laughs> but of course I've not run one. But there are some nuances involved, like what happens uh, when nodes fall out of sync, uh, what kind of hardware requirements are needed, uh, what if we want systems to be more robust and, of course, the security aspect of key management. In the future, the aim of trying to do these upgrades as smoothly as possible is to try and integrate upcoming modules more regularly. This Stargate upgrade was probably a a year and a half in the making, involved many organizations, and the future of the hub involves... A similar set and a growing set. There's development taking place. These modules have to go through testing. Getting more awareness uh, for the validators about what they need to do and how frequently they need to do it would be very helpful. Mm. Uh, This added functionality will increase the usage of the hub. It'll make things a lot more exciting, add feature. (laughs)
2: So hopefully the future upgrades are not quite as painful as this. That's one. right.
3: Yeah, we, <laughs> we we are exploring different mechanisms for making these upgrades smoother. And, and currently there are some mechanisms that try to automate some of this. Uh, there is an upgrade module that allows somebody to issue a uh, governance proposal, which would update a client based on a particular commit hash. Uh, there's also another mechanism, which is which is being used by the IBC module that's going to be in, in progress to being activated. And what happens in that scenario is a module's code does get integrated into the Cosmos stack, uh, either in the SDK or Tendermint or in Gaia eventually. And once that code's present, somebody can issue a governance proposal to issue a parameter change in order to activate that module. So uh, this way, people have some awareness of and some mechanism to activate that module.
0: So what's happened since this upgrade? We've kind of described it. You also you just mentioned that the like IBC still needs to be activated. What does that actually mean? And yeah, what's happened since for you?
3: The IBC code uh, essentially is part of the Gaia stack now. Uh, The Gaia Cosmos SDK stack, which means that modules that rely on IBC will be able to use it. And right now, even though the code is part of Gaia, what needed to happen was there needed to be an on chain flag indicating to the validators that, okay, at this point in time, IBC should be enabled for any modules Mm -hmm. that want it. So essentially, uh, somebody submitted a governance, pr- I think it was Zaki, and submitted a governance proposal onto the hub saying time to activate IBC and people will have to vote on it. And in two weeks of that vote, the IBC module will look at that flag in, in the on-chain state. And if that flag is set, then IBC will be available. Very interesting.
2: Uh, so one of the outcomes of this big a uh, painful upgrade is that you've started building in more ways like this to upgrade specific parts of the system or
0: almost turn on it's not even like you don't have to go through the process of upgrading anymore i guess
2: right and that gives you a lot more flexibility for uh, future upgrades to put them in the code base much sooner, uh, and then activate them when they're ready. Would would you expect that, you know, this is the uh, like long term direction that Cosmos upgradability is going to go? Is more towards, you know, module specific and you know uh, very specific governance rather than big upgrades?
3: I think in terms of the Stargate upgrade, the majority of that those changes, uh, as I understand them, were with respect to the underlying data format. Uh, so it was an, a performance optimization. It was uh, other kinds of optimizations. Future upgrades could uh, be as involved, especially if state has to evolve in order to accommodate the new modules. I wouldn't say that there's going to be one path for upgrades. I think there are numerous ways for upgrades to take place, and they should be available depending on who's involved and what kind of coordination is required. The coordinated hub upgrade, we're trying to minimize those, but at the same time, if they do need to take place because of breaking changes, we want them to take place much faster. So trying to get the export faster and uh, some of the updates that have been applied to the software since the upgrade makes that process much faster.
2: So it it sounds like you know these big coordinated state upgrades are expensive, but you know you're not scared of doing more of them.
3: <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm not. No, I think these are uh, system level admin things that should be fairly uh, well understood. In particular, we want the validators to be comfortable with upgrading. We don't want them to think that, oh, I, have, I haven't touched this system in a year and a half. I <laughs> If I touch it now, something's going to happen. We want them to feel confident in the process that of this coordinated mechanism. And it, in some cases, they're also uncoordinated mechanisms. Uh, for instance, uh, I think it was a week or two ago, there needed to be a security patch applied, and it was required a 24-hour notice to the validators. And that 24-hour notice was essentially, within 24 hours, a new version of Gaia will be released. Please update your software, and you don't have to export, migrate. You don't have to go through that process, and it's uncoordinated. So the validators don't have to turn off their software at the same time. They can all do it at at their pace. Of course, the sooner the better, just to avoid the potential uh, scenario where the chain halts. In the scenario where the chain would halt, if it had, a majority of the validators would have had to update their client and then the network would come back up the chain would start back up
1: mm.
2: mm-hmm. you know, we've talked a lot about adding modules to the hub and about this significant upgrade uh what kind of qa processes or what other you know, like processes do modules undergo in order to ensure that they're ready to run on a globally distributed consensus system
3: a uh, great question So uh, we are working on a module readiness checklist that will help relay the information about the module's readiness to the community at large. In addition to the technical QA that we would expect from anything being deployed on-chain, whether it's a third-party audit, intensive performance testing, uh, there are other aspects such as Who are the downstream partners impacted by this? Who are the upstream partners that this module is dependent on? Uh, What kind of coordinations are required as these modules get developed? And we're working very hard to have this checklist in a very easy manner for module teams to fill out. And this complements the technical checklist that some of the uh, dev teams in the community are working on, including region.
0: Cool. That's great. Well, Shahan, thanks for coming on the show and sharing your experience of the Stargate upgrade.
3: Thank you very much for having me on here, Anna and James.
0: James, I have a quick last question to you since we're wrapping up this episode. Like, from what you've seen looking across different ecosystems over the years, like, how does this upgrade compare? What, What did you think about it? Now, also now that we've done these three interviews. Well,
2: you know, outside of the major Bitcoin and Ethereum forks, uh, i think that this is by far the largest most distributed and uh best coordinated network upgrade that i've seen i i don't want to underestimate you know how much work goes into something like this and to talking to you know several dev teams and 100 validators is incredibly difficult cello you know my my employer we're going to be undergoing a hard fork next month or uh you know late april early may and it is a, uh, you know, extremely worrying thing. We're doing all of this testing and all of this QA. And uh, I am happy to know that it is possible and to see someone uh, and, you know, teams that have gone through it with poise.
0: And come out the other side of the Stargate, and huh? come out the other <laughs> side. All right. They are in good so hands thanks.
3: with you there, James. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thank you. Thanks to both of you and to our previous guests for doing this episode. And to our listeners, thanks for listening.